CFB Paint back for another pod. Rivalry Week is in the books. The regular season is in the books. We've got Court and Brian on the pod today, and we're going to dive into our rapid round. We're going to do it in order of who can throw a football the farthest. Uh, we'll have to get some input later from Steve on where he would land uh, in this order as a as a whole. But, Corey, you had some strong feelings about how this would go. Yeah, I, well, maybe not strong feelings, but, like, what I thought. Um, I think there's tiers. You know, there's, like, you guys are a solid B. You and you and Mark, and then me and Steve are solid D is what I'd put us at potentially. But I think my thought process is Mark could throw the farthest, you can throw the second farthest, and then I think it's going to be close between me and Steve. I think I might edge him out in that in that category. Um, he might differ on that opinion. And like I said, we should go figure out this when we get, when we get together in a month, all four of us. That'll be a lot of fun. Um, we can run the forty against each other. Do foot race, kind of do do some little comp- competitions to see where we really stand on all these things. Maybe yeah. do a little fire out in the woods. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it would really show how how far off of our uh, NFL dreams we would be. You know, if we get our forty times, we get our three cone drill. Um, I, it's gonna be embarrassing to look at, but I think that'd be fun. Um, no, I, I I think there's a little bit of little brother syndrome in there with me uh, on this rating because you put yourself like like miles beneath me. And I think, yeah, I could probably throw further than you, but like in my head, you still have got a cannon of an arm. No, uh, no, not and, a and I think... I've watched you throw, you have a long arm and you can toss it. <laughs> I'm like, I got little arms and little legs. Like that's me. <laughs> See, I, I think it's just, you're, you know, seven, between seven and eight years older than me. And so anytime I've seen you throw a football, like was before you graduated high school, which means at most I was 11 years old. So like, that that's like the gap that I still see is like Corey still got a cannon, and, and maybe that's it. Just also helps that like I beamed some of the kids that were picking on you in the face when we play, so you thought I had a cannon in protection of you. You know, you you did you did save me some from some neighbor kids on multiple occasions, and uh, it seemed like it hurt. That's all I'm gonna say. Is it seemed like like the <laughs> message was sent and didn't need to be sent again. So that to me that says arm strength and, and a cannon. Um, but overall, like I think at, at now, as a grown adult, I think I can probably outthrow you. I've thrown over 50 yards before, but, like, just barely. Um, I don't know where I'd be at today. I think I'd probably make one throw, hurt my shoulder, and have to be done for, <laughs> done yeah, for the day. Yeah, we need to do that. We need to do a kicking challenge. It'd be so much fun just to go to a football or go to a stadium for, like, Kicking challenge would be good. I think, I think you and Mark would rock the kicking challenge. Like, I have hit legs. 50 yards out at Rice Eccles, barefooted. That's crazy. Yeah, see, I, I – I don't think I've kicked a field goal more than 25 yards. I, I just, yeah. for whatever reason, can't get. I played soccer in high school, but can't get that technique right uh, when I'm striking a football. Yeah. Um, but I'll, I'll take the the first in this rapid round. Rivalry week was awesome, exciting, great to watch. Not great to talk about afterward because all of the upset bids, for the most part, ended up in failures, uh, squashed either at the last minute or close to the last minute. Awesome game with Auburn and Alabama. Awesome game, Michigan-Ohio State. Um, that one was tight throughout. Uh, Kentucky gets the lone big upset uh, in the week. But overall, a lot of this went kind of how we expected it to. And what we thought was going to be, oh, this is all exciting, going towards the end of the season, pushes into conference championship games. Last year with conference championships, it felt really like cut and dry. Is USC going to win this or not? Um, and that's going to determine the last playoff spot everything else we thought was kind of determined in our heads at that point um tcu ends up making it in despite not winning their conference championship game that's how sewn up the conversation had been up to that point 
this will be, this year is super different. So we just push it off one more week and let next week decide it. Uh, that's what kind of felt like by the end of the week. I will say throughout the day, amazing football. Like lots of teams playing their best ball at the end of the season and, and giving teams a run for their money that you didn't expect. Heck, BYU gave o- Oklahoma State its best shot for a minute there, and you thought Oklahoma might sneak their way into the to the Big Ten title or Big Twelve title game. Anyway, good week of football. Nothing too crazy happened, and we've got it's got me really on the edge of my seat for the very last uh, last whistles that come next week. Yeah, um, I agree with you. Really good week of football. A lot of fun. A um, lot of good games. A lot of scariness within in games. You know, Oklahoma State, you know, on the edge. Florida going up twelve nothing on Florida State. Auburn, you know, leading with you know forty three seconds left against Bama, and then even Georgia Tech making that game interesting late. I mean, there's just a lot of fun, but nothing in rivalry week can beat the pettiness that comes from rivalry week, in my opinion. And I love to watch the pettiness. Two of my favorite examples of pe- pettiness within this week are after Virginia Tech won the Virginia game, they went back out on the field and took pictures, and Virginia took – I guarantee you this wasn't a timer. It's not They scheduled. took on the, the sprinklers. <laughs> As they're taking pictures. I think that's a great thing. They're like, well, you beat us, but you can't take pictures on our field. And then Florida State's marching band playing the war chant during the fourth quarter where uh, UF says, can't, or plays Tom Petty's Can't Back Down song. In the middle of it, they just start blaring the, their, their fight song or their uh, war chant. And it's kind of like, all right, I love the pettiness here. I also love the pettiness and the fact that, like, after the game, a lot of Florida State fans mentioned, like, Oh, you play, you can't back down, yet you didn't gain a single yard in the first in the fourth quarter. You lost yards, so maybe you did back down. I think that's kind of funny. But just watching the pettiness ball back and forth is all great to me. So it, it is great because these rivalries are what fuel Twitter all of the off season and most of the regular season, where it's just like, look how bad our rival did against us. Look at the stupid thing my rival did. And now this is the game that you have to you have the one side that will cite back to it every time they hear a little bit of pettiness, and they'll be like, yeah, whatever, scoreboard. For, for a full year, and that's kind of what yep. it is until you can prove it different. Um, yep. But the pettiness is, is – you're right. It was on peak display a, a few times, and those are really good examples. Speaking of pettiness, I talked to a very senior-aged fan of ours, and they didn't feel like we get, took enough credit for saying that BYU was going to get smoked by Oklahoma we, or take, we didn't take enough uh, heat for that. So, yes, Dad. BYU played Oklahoma very good, very well. They still didn't make a bowl. Yeah, and they very they looked much more impressive in their five and seven than we anticipated for the last two games. Credit. <laughs> um, but with that, let's let's dive into a little bit of not so much the action. We're going to talk about some of the news that comes after. With the end of the regular season comes coaching changes. Um, so we we saw a few hirings, a bunch of firings. I'm gonna read off just a few, and we've talked about a few going in uh, in prior weeks. So Dino Babers and um, uh, who's the Michigan State head coach? I'm forgetting who it was. Um, mm-hmm. The Michigan State head coach, Mel Tucker. Oh, Mel Tucker. Uh, Mel Tucker, Jimbo Fisher. Firings that we already knew about. New firings from this week. Dana Holgerson is out at Houston. Pretty Hope kind gets of expected hired. that one. We we all knew that was a po- possibility. Yeah, and I, I wondered if he had coached to save his job because it, it was part of the end of the season where they started to come on a little bit and looked. Like they had some real life, but it was it's one of those well, things where you go, is this going to be? State. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, that's for sure. Um, but you wonder if it's like too little, too late. Um, yeah. Brady Hoke out against San Diego or at San Diego State. 
Tom Allen at Indiana, which to me raises eyebrows of like, what what do you think your program is going to be? Um, do they want to win all of a sudden? That's yeah. that's what that sounds to like that, me. It's that like, seems oh, like the message. The Big Ten, we want to start spending some money. Yeah. Uh, Andy Avalos out at Boise State. Uh, they will be in their conference title game nonetheless. Danny Gonzalez out at New Mexico. Dana Dimble out at UTEP. And Terry Bowden out at Louisiana Monroe. Just looking at these uh, these open openings and vacancies, and I can add to those uh, Duke and Oregon State. We'll get to the hires in a second, but those are also vacant jobs at the moment. Uh, which ones kind of stick out to you as like, this would be really interesting to see what direction the the hiring process goes. I think it's got to be Indiana with Tom Allen. Like, where do you go from here? You, you didn't, you, I think you won three games this year. I can't remember off the top of my head. I'll um, check that for but, you. Um, like, you haven't been a consistently good team. You have been recruiting pretty well, but the, those players have been leaving you. I mean, you had the highest recruit that they ever had go to Oklahoma last year um, in, in linebacker. So, like, are you looking to sp- – spend some money in the NIL game to keep those people there. Cause like, that's not really his fault. I mean, you had that and then you had the the quarterback for Washington eventually leave you too. like Michael Penning. Like you had some players. Yeah. But you haven't kept them there. So that's interesting. Where do they want to go? What are they trying to accomplish with this firing? So. Yeah. And you were right. Three and nine on the year. That is the curious one. You have USC, UCLA, Washington, Oregon joining the conference next season. Does Indiana say, Hey, now's, you know, we're, we're getting into the era of our monies are going to be way up. Let's try and start competing. We've going to have enough coming in for yeah. our TV deals to pay coaches. Let's go ahead and use our, our booster funds and pay some players. Cause, cause that's what it's going to take. You know, you, you can get a good coach in there and they can do an okay job, but the ceiling of your program from the outside view right now is not very high. Like you're, you're one of those teams where, I expect Northwestern and Rutgers and you to get beat up on on the regular because there are so many strong teams at the top of this conference. Um, hey, Rutgers held their own this year. I got to give, give them Rutgers a little bit did much better. And Northwestern. Like, th- those yeah. are two who I was like, those are going to be terrible teams this year and, and turned out not to be. Nonetheless, they're, they're, I don't think. They're part think... of like three of the, the win- teams that have winning records in the Big Ten. Not, not to be facetious, <laughs> yeah. but you know. No, no, no. I mean, it's. <laughs> it, it's been a been a heck of a conference for sure. There's been a lot of injuries, to be fair, um, at the quarterback position in the Big Ten this year. Um, I, for a lot of teams, that's been a revolving door right there. So that makes it a little bit tough. But uh, the, the opening that I am kind of zeroed in on is Houston. Um, I think that's one where sky's kind of the limit. You have a talent-rich area that you can recruit from. We saw what Tom, Her- Tom Herman did when he was there, and he was able to bring in a lot of local Houston talent. Um, I don't know what the type of investment's like, but I think it's pretty decent. I don't think it's elite among the Big 12 schools, but in the Big 12, I think you could be competitive pretty pretty early, pretty quickly. And I'm sure there are plenty of Texas guys who are ready to, Texas the state, not Texas the school, who are ready to jump in the portal and say, you know, I may not get the playing time I'm looking for. I could go somewhere closer to home and get a little bit more time. I think this is one that if they get the right hire, they get the right guy in, they, they could be microwaving this build. Because... The Big 12 is it's so up for grabs next year. Um, there are teams that we expect to compete at the top of it, like a Utah, um, like a Kansas, as far as the direction they're on, or Kansas State. Um, but it, it could be like UCF could pop up and do something crazy. Um, th- yeah. There's a lot that could change. You know, Baylor's firing more coordinators and seeing if that'll work again. They're on the Aranda train still. 
but I, I think this Houston one is so – I'm just waiting for it to pop, you know? Like, I feel, feel like it can. <laughs> and see, that that's the tough question because I'm not sure if it's somebody who's been a head coach before. See, I I, I, I haven't looked at any lists. I'm going to pull some lists up real quick. But, like, my head, off, off the top of my head, I go, go get Rhett Lashley from SMU. If you can outspend him a little bit. He's going to the, they're going to the ACC. Great. But they're not, that's not – they're not going to be making as much money as they are in the Big 12. And you can pay him a little bit more. And he's got an offensive mind, and he showed that he can, can do pretty well at SMU. That's who I think I might go get. I think he'd be a great hire. I'm not sure you could prize him away from SMU. Um, he's coming off a really good year. His you know quarterback who he had – we can touch on this later in the year, but there's a quarterback he used to work with. He's now in the transfer portal, and it's available. Um and SMU has deep enough pockets that if they want to keep them, I think they can. Um, that, that's one where they're going into the ACC and said, we don't need any TV money for years. We just, just let us get in and let us compete with them. Um, they're, they're kind of the OGs of the NIL uh, era. They started, you know, 40 years too soon, approximately. Um, but they, they, you know, made sure that they got elite talent uh, in, in the on campus. So I think he would be a, I just uh, up real quick, a potential shortlist for this, that, that job. Yeah, they talk about Willie Fritz from Tulane, Jeff trailer from UTSA, uh, which they've done pretty good the last two years. They have on the list, Gary Patterson, which and Cliff Kingsbury, which would be interesting. Um, back Cliff Kingsbury would be job. really interesting. Yeah. If you could land that, I, I mean, I don't know necessarily yeah. know why he would come back with just that job, but if you could land it, that'd be awesome. And then Will Stein, the offensive coordinator from Oregon. And they also have uh, oh. Jeff Banks, the associate head coach of uh, Texas. I think he's all the tight, tight ends coach. So, like, maybe, but I, I don't know. We'll see who they get because they can dump some money. I I have long since said that UCF and Houston, I think, are the future of the Big 12 because they have the most – they have the biggest fan base and they have the most money to kind of dump into that. So. Yeah, I I don't think you're wrong about that. Um, I think really interesting. Like Jeff Trailer is the name that I see thrown around for every job opening that pops up, yep. and I wonder if if he's so desirable. Like maybe wait a year, you know, like pause, wait a year, maybe better openings show for you. Because the Houston thing, I think it is a has a chance to be a premier job, but it isn't. Like as of right now, like mm-hmm. it's it's a step up from UTSA, yes, but I think he could step higher than that yeah. in. in in a jump if he can keep a consistent performance at UTSA. Um, but yeah, we'll see see who lands in these positions. And if they go get any current coach, like, you know, a lot of those people listed on there, Willie Fritz are, are currently coaching. That opens up more of the carousel and more to, to go around. Um, a few hires that occurred in the last week. Mike Elko from Duke had an excellent couple of seasons there. Back at Texas A&M, he was the DC. Uh, I couldn't tell you what year. I should have looked that up before I got in here. Um, it was like three years ago has, has under, under Jimbo Fisher. Yeah, he was with Fisher. Um, again, really nice year with Duke. Uh, last year, but also this year, really good until they kind of have injuries that ravaged him a bit. But they hang, hung it together still. Um, and we don't know if there's going to be any Riley Leonard jumping in the portal. But uh, Elko, I think a good hire here. Um, I, I think... This is a little bit of less splash, a lot less splashy than the last one, right? Jimbo Fisher was a national champion, um, and somebody who had that pedigree beforehand. Mike Elko is one who you see, okay, he's managed a program well. They seem to do things 
the right way. They play a very physical brand of football that we think can be competitive here. Um, and we've seen him at Texas A&M. We, were, we liked him then, evidently enough. Duke liked him enough to make him coach at the time. Um, and now he's proved he can do it on that level. Now he's gone somewhere where he has near infinite resources uh, to go ahead and win. What's your thought on the Elko hire by A&M? So uh, this is one we called a little bit. Um, I think Steve didn't necessarily agree with me, but I thought Mel- Mike Elko was going to be the hire. I think they went uh, headhunting and tried to get better coaches, but I think this is the best that they could do, to be frank. Um, like, I like Mike Elko, but he's not necessarily known as, like, an insane recruiter. Maybe the money will talk and you don't have to worry about that. Um, but he's, he's he's along the lines of, a, oh, I expect an 8-4 and four season. That's kind of like you could do what I expect from Mike Elko. And so I'm not getting a, an all-star court, a coach that I think they're bringing in. I'm bringing a coach that's probably stable with the expectations being about what they've been performing at, but now I don't have to pay him $100 million. That's the, the the difference, even though you already had to pay out $100 million anyway. So, like, what – I don't know. I don't know where this goes. Can they really move it move it up to the next level? We'll see. But if I'm Mike Elko, I'm going to go make some extra money. I think he's getting paid, what, $30 million over five years? Uh, I think that's – I'd have to double-check that. That sounds Anyways. right, though. I, I was, his contract, I think, is through 2030. But I think... Yeah. I'll look it up. I'm trying to remember what it's but I think, I like, It's um, not much compared to what Jimbo Fisher was. Yeah. I, I think he's somebody who has the potential to push this program to be like a consistent 8-4, and 9-3 and three program, which they haven't been consistently that under Jimbo Fisher. Um, yeah. I don't know that he'll make it there. Uh, that's far from unknown to me. But honestly, in, in the NIL era, I'm a much bigger fan of a coach rather than a recruiter um if you have an NIL operation that right. 60 years 42 million yeah i was okay, wrong so, so seven mil a year um yep. uh, average i'm sure that ramps up over time uh but i i i'm just such a bigger fan of like hey can you develop and and create like foster the culture and coach can, can you do those things because bringing in talent nil will do well enough um, and then once you get results on the field, that will do well enough added to it. I, I just think if you have that operation in place, you don't need an ace recruiter at head coach. You'll want a couple on your staff, yes, <laughs> but you don't need an ace recruiter at head coach. And I think, I don't know, I, I, I like the move. I think it's smart of them to not go, I mean, I think you nailed it on the head when you said they looked for bigger names and weren't able to get them. I, I feel like if they had got bigger names, it would have just been Jimbo Fisher all over again, would have crash and burned it would have been expectations sky high for a team that's never really achieved anything in, in recent history uh and th- then you're stuck hanging on to somebody too long because we put all the chips in on him and, and i think mike elko is one that you could fire and that's probably where you want to be is if you really want to compete you probably should have a coach in there that your ad can say yeah we got this one wrong let's go to the next one um overall like i think good hire but i yeah, probably the best they could do. Curious what your thoughts are on the Mark Stoops flirtation. Uh, there was a moment where lots of reports were coming out. Mark Stoops is going to Texas A&M, and then the Kairosh got put on that one. Yeah, like Mark Stoops has done the best with a lot of with not very good talent there at Kentucky. He's done a, a good job recruiting better talent than they ever had. Um, but like you're you're consistently hitting the mark where you kind of expected to. You're pretty secure in your job. If you go seven and five, eight and five, or eight seven five, eight and five, eight and four, um, like 
I'd just stay there. But at the same time, like, if he really wants to challenge, it'd be interesting that he goes. I mean, it's not right in the line of Jimbo Fisher, you know? So. Yeah, it t- totally is. But also, like, I, I it, it's funny because I always perceived Mark Stoops, like, like once he got to Kentucky, like, oh, yeah, he's just going to be there forever. Like, he's going to yeah. be there. He's a good coach. He coaches well enough to get to a certain level. He's not going to have the talent to do above that. But I don't know if he likes the gritty grind that it takes to be at the very top of, a, like, you know, the, the way that yeah. Georgia has to operate, the way that Alabama has to operate, the way that Texas A&M wants to operate. Um, you know, just doing doing things the right way, getting kids in who are a little bit above what you should, and, you know, going eight and four as often as you can. Uh, so it was surprising to me. Lots of backlash from Texas A&M fans on message boards and on Twitter, and quickly that disappeared. Now, I don't know Isn't what happened. had any effect on him disappearing. You're like, oh, never mind, we're not going to finalize this. Uh, or do you I, think, I think it's possible. I, I think it's possible there is a party who heard about it or was on like in on the decision, but not the ultimate deciding factor who said, I need to leak this because we can't have this happen. Uh, I think that's, there's a real chance to happen. And then you have like some room for sway. I'd like to think a, a, a university doesn't get that swayed by message board material. Um, but some of those people on message boards also have big wallets. And I think that's where it becomes a concern. Um, yeah. Interesting altogether uh another hire that happened over the weekend michigan state has now replaced mel tucker jonathan smith from oregon state oregon state one of the teams that's left out of the realignment they're in the pac-12 still they don't have a home for next year uh alongside washington state great season for them overall like very competitive in a lot of big games they took washington you know pretty close rough game this week against oregon but nobody's been really doing great against oregon what do you think of this hire jonathan smith um, he's turned Oregon State around and made them a tough and physical team. And he kind of his his team and their culture is a little weird in in the Pac-12 because it's not kind of what the Pac-12 does, but it is what the Big Twelve or the Big Ten does. And 100%. so it makes sense to kind of go there. And like he's done really well with the talent that he has. He doesn't have all star talent, but he's done pretty well and put together a good team. And I think this is a good hire for them. Um. Too many people kind of reacted to the 2020 season when, you know, all heck was broke loose and we didn't really know what was going on. Um, and Michigan State ended up paying for that because they gave Mel Tucker a super long contract. But this is the right. Uh, this is a much better hire, in my opinion. I think this is going to go in the right direction. And kudos for Johnson Smith. I mean, you're going to get left out in the cold. Go find a way to get back there. So. Yeah, and kind of a brutal situation. Like he, he's a. If I'm not mistaken, he's an Oregon State grad. Like, this is his school. This is his team. I think if circumstances went different as far as the conferences were concerned, there's a decent chance he sticks around. Obviously, eventually, everybody's got a, you know, a price tag, which I can be bought. I'm sure the coaches can be bought uh, at a certain level. But, you know, you, you do get left out in the cold. And then Michigan State is a, it's an awesome place to be where there's a lot of potential in the Big Ten. I don't know that you have necessarily expectations for, like, 10 wins, nine wins, especially not where the program is currently, but you have some of the resources and access to talent that you'll need to grow it. Um, And yeah, I I just think this one makes a lot of sense. He hasn't coached in this area before. Like he's coached mostly in Oregon and Washington in Montana. Um, So that'll be new, but I think that really gets overblown a lot. You know, Dan Lanning going to Oregon, you see things can work just fine, at least in the SEC and 
go to do your thing. So I, you I, have I think the talent, be a big you know, for Mario Cristobal and then the actual coaching that you need, that ends up being a good team. It's a great combination. Miami might yeah. want to look into this, by the way. Just fire Crystal Ball and go get an actual <laughs> coach, and you might be in good shape. <laughs> you know, do, do it quick. Pull a quick switch, get those players underneath. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I, I don't have any other thoughts on, on that one. I think it's a good hire. We'll see how it shakes out. He's going up against some of the best coaches in, in college football um, because he'll be going up against uh, well, Ryan Day, people question, but Jim Harbaugh, uh, if Harbaugh doesn't leave for the NFL. Um, you still have Kalen DeBoer. You still have uh, Dan Lanning. You Lincoln still have Riley. Lincoln Riley. And, and Chip Kelly's hung on to his job. So uh, there are big names we'll be going up against, uh, along with along with the flashy hires of Luke Fickle and Matt Rule last year. So like there there are real chances to get big wins against uh, big coaches, but he's been doing that at Oregon State already. He's, he's yeah. kind of set in prime for this. Um, the other hire that happened over the weekend in the SEC, Mississippi State hires... Oklahoma offensive coordinator Jeff Lebby. Corey, any thoughts on the Jeff Lebby hire from Michigan, uh, Mississippi State? I mean, I feel like this is where Jeff Lebby is going to die. But at the same time, this, this feels like a uh, feels like a very much like a Dan Mullen hire, and Dan Mullen had success there. And maybe Jeff Lebby can do that same success if he can find the right quarterback to run his system and be successful. Because they've looked at times very potent at Oklahoma, and then at times it's been a little bit of a struggle. But He's been able to get the recruits in there that they need and be able to be efficient. So why not bring him over Mississippi State and see if you can do, you know, eight and four. That's what you're shooting for at Mississippi State. Yeah, and eight and four is like – that's an excellent Mississippi State year. Like, Yeah. They, they are – I mean, and divisions are done away after this year in the SEC, but if you're looking at the SEC West, it's a stacked division, and they're at the bottom of it uh, pretty regularly. Yeah. You know, it's them in Arkansas who occupy those spots. So – if you're if you're on you know just winning season on a regular basis, you can make it to a bulk of seven and six. You know Mississippi State fans would eventually get tired, but they'd be okay for a few years. And you sprinkle in a couple eight winners, a couple nine winners if you get really incredible. Maybe eight nine winners if you get really incredible. Um, but I think your comparison is so spot on here. I think you got a really good offensive coach who's going to be able to get the talent that he needs uh, in there. You're going to be competitive in your Egg Bowl games, which they were competitive this year, but kind of out of the blue. Um, Mississippi State is yeah, is that more because Ole Miss sucked or because Mississippi State was actually good? Like this was, it was a travesty to watch that game. I was so excited, and I was like, "When's the next game? Oh no, tomorrow? Okay, never mind." <laughs> yeah, no. Uh, Ole Miss has been the bane of my existence all year because they end the season ten and two, but I still like feel like, yeah, you're not very good though, um, and. and you You're know, still on the it, level of Tulane without their starting quarterback, you know? <laughs> right, right. But uh, that's how I feel. But it's like, yeah, but they did earn a 10-2 record. Like, I can't I can't take away what they did do. You know, they did beat LSU, who isn't a total scrub. They only play half the, you know, yeah. one side of the ball. But they're not scrubs. Um, so um, kudos there. But Mississippi State, I, I like this hire. I'm intrigued to see how it works out for them. I'm also intrigued to see things from the Oklahoma side because I think he done a pretty good job there um i think the issues we saw last year were certainly defensive i think this year there's still some defensive issues um where teams like byu who formerly couldn't move the ball at all especially run the ball especially with their offensive line were able to gash oklahoma um so the, the strength of the team to me has been the offense They'll need to get the right hire uh, to replace him to, to keep that as I, I really trust ben, venables as a defensive guy i just can't believe that his defense will be poor for any like yeah, it'll keep time. getting better i agree yeah 
but uh, in, in the short term, like they they need to keep that offense humming. Um, so that'll be. That'll and you be got key. Jackson Arnold next year, so why not? Like get somebody good. That'll. Yeah. No, I'm I'm 100 with you. Um, any other thoughts on any of the coaching carousel things I didn't touch on or or programs we hadn't no, dove in as much? We got on? two openings now in Duke and Oregon State with coaches taking different jobs. I think we've seen some assistant coaches being fired, which is kind of fun and interesting too. I think. There are two coaches that are at UF that were fired this week. Um, I'm trying to think off the top of my head. I can't remember a, a, a few others. But we've like, seen the assistant changing the assistant coaches. You mentioned the Baylor ones uh, with Dave Veranda. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we've seen some people calling for change and, and opportunities to change, and the carousel is always, always moving. So who ends up where is fun to watch. It's, I mean, you, you and I both enjoy this. So Yeah, was, if, you're, if you're listening to a college football podcast and you've been listening to it all season, you're probably into the same sort of thing where – the the games might not be they, they might be dying down there might be fewer and fewer of them but the news right now is just blowing up with the coaching carousel and what's happening there and then it has heavy bearing on the recruiting that's happening with it as well as the transfer portal the players are yeah. are going oh that was my D-line coach he's gone now uh, oh that that's you know I love that OC I don't know if I still am going to want to be here after he's gone you know those sort of things are, are really happening and they're going to continue to happen because people will hire their vacancies away from other people. Um, yeah, it'll, it'll be a ride. Uh, but there was also football played this weekend uh, and more than just the weekend. It was on Turkey day. It was on Friday. Um, we want to talk about just a few of the big matchups um, that shaped the, the end of this season and, and what we're going to see going into the championship week uh, in the ACC, Florida state plays at Florida. Both teams are with their backup quarterbacks. So you have, Tate Rodemaker in for Florida State. You have, oh my gosh, I'm forgetting the Max name of Graham Mertz backup. Sorry, Max Brown. Max Brown uh, in for UF. UF jumps out to a great lead. Everything goes right from a UF perspective to start the game. Everything goes wrong from an FSU perspective to start the game. Uh, but ultimately, Florida State wins out. The, the last 40 minutes of the game, they play pretty well. They, they don't. They dominate defensively. Uh, their offense gets enough done. Uh, they had some struggles going with Tate Rodemaker, but you know, you get you get a few touchdowns and uh, the field goal that you need. Twenty four fifteen, the end score of that one. Thoughts on the Florida UF game, Corey? Oh, it was. Uh, if you're a fan, awful to watch at first, and then great to to see you like be relieved. Um, it's interesting to watch this Florida State team because they remind me a little bit of of Washington and Georgia, and yeah, maybe you could say Michigan, but not as much lately. Like. But yeah, Michigan, maybe it's it's those teams that can win on either side of the ball. And like sometimes your offense can win the game for you, or sometimes your defense can win the game for you. And that's what like this defense has given up fifty eight points in the second half all, all year, this year combined. And if you talk you if you cut out like the first three games, it's like twenty five points in the second half through their last nine games. That's insane. I think it might be closer to thirty two, actually, now I'm thinking about it. But that's insane. Um, the second half adjustments that they're doing. And that's partially why, like, if this team goes undefeated, that's why you have to put them in, in, the, in, in, the, in the final four group. Because this team's defense will allow them to hang around with anybody. Like, yeah. I'm not an Adam Fuller fan. I haven't been an Adam Fuller fan, how he's handled the defense but in the, in the past. But this year, it, it is a very good defense. It is great second quarter or second half changes. And Patrick Sertain has the, that defensive the backs playing pretty dang well. Those those are players that were 
cast offs on some of the, those their teams that they were at and not highly rated a few years ago. And I mean, Jerry and Jones has locked down um, Restrepo from Miami. He locked down Pearsall from from uh, Florida. And if you look at PFF, he's like one of the number like top three cornerbacks in man to man coverage. And that's a guy that oh, three years ago people were like, eh, can he play? Like. Uh, yeah, we'll I, I remember like at the beginning of last year, I was like, that get every time I was watching Florida State as a Florida State fan, I was like, get him off the field. Like, what what are you yeah. doing with Jarian Jones in there? And now I watch him and he's unreal. Um, it's that that defense is uh, you're absolutely right. Like they're they're giving the the team a chance to hang with absolutely anybody, and then you have enough of the talent on offense to to pop and to to keep up. Florida State has been down by 10 points or more four times this year and has won every single game because of the second-half adjustments. You have Clemson, you have UF, you have Miami, you have – there's one other game that I can't think of off the top of my head. Um, LSU? Were they, yeah, they're down 17-7 to against LSU, I think, weren't they? I think that's um, right. And so – and all, all four games, they clamp down. LSU scores seven points against them in the second half with – a joke of a touchdown against the a, a true freshman in his first game. I mean, Clemson scores nothing in the second half. Florida scores a, a three pointer, three points, and Miami scores a fluke seven, a fluke pass where even the college football committee was like, "Yeah, that touchdown was a fluke." Like when they said that out loud, I was like, "Okay." So I mean, that's what gets them back into games, and they're not going to be out in front. But you better watch out for how they handle the second half. So, um, fun game to watch. And I'm happy with the results, so I can't be too too mad. Although Max Brown had some good passes in that game. Um, yeah, er, early on in the game, I was concerned. Like when you look at the backup quarterback matchup of Tate Rodemaker and Max Brown, Max Brown looked the better player. Um, made made some really tight throws, some some really sharp ones, and he's also good with his legs. And so there's part of me that I was thinking, like, oh man, if they start to let loose, you know, kind of give this kid more and more control of the offense. There's a chance for a mistake, but like I think he might he might torch you know torch Florida State just because it was looking good early on. But what you see in the second half is, oh no, they couldn't do anything like that because as soon as you drop back to pass, like the O line couldn't pass block Florida State, and and that was something that you wanted to avoid. But as soon as you got down, you couldn't avoid it anymore. And then sack after sack after sack, um, and, and it was not one mismatch on the offensive line. It was you know three to four uh, uh, per per snap that. They're just getting beat man to man, or even double teams getting blown through by Braden Fisk and Joshua Farmer, um, and that that to me is the the end story of this game. Is Florida State could block enough to let Tate, you know, give him a chance to make some throws. Um, if you look at his overall stat line, not great on the day, but made some big throws that mattered in in key moments. Um, and then the run game got going a little bit, and that uh, sealed the deal for him. But for Florida, they didn't have any of that drop back and pass it option, um, despite. I like Wilson as a wide receiver on the outside. I think Pearsall's a good player as well. Um, those weren't really weapons that you were able to use at all. Uh, you had to try and run with your two dinged-up running backs. You know, They're very good running backs, but also not 100%. Um, both came out at certain points in the game with injury. So, uh, And that's where you know, Florida State goes on a 24-3 run to win this game. It, it was relatively dominant. Again, after that 20-minute period, but they really had that hole that they dug slash the refs dug slash Florida dug for them uh, to start that game. Uh, any last thoughts on that one before we move along? Um, I'm interested to see if you adjust the this team, uh, the play calling for Florida State. 
uh, and uh, like make it a quick, fast, pass, happy uh, team. I think Tate Rotomaker can thrive in that, and you just make sure, sure you're throwing quickly um, because he has the arm talent. He's he's frankly he's a better he's a has better arm talent than Travis Jordan Travis does. He just doesn't have as much control over the offense and understanding of the offense and understanding of the blitzes, et cetera. But if you can make it a quick read, like, okay, one, two, take down, or one, two, here's your check down, you might have a ball on offense there. Because you have yeah. so many weapons you can beat them, beat people with. And that's really what happened also in, in these kind of games. It's like you have different games where different players have stepped up. LSU, you have Keon Coleman catches three touchdown passes. This game, you have Trey Benson runs for three touchdowns. And then Johnny Wilson has six, six or seven catches, and kind of is the comfort blanket for Tate Rotomaker. Yeah. And then you also have Jaheim Bell, who's also his high school tight end. Um, that kind of breaks the game open at first, like, and he's a big pass to Jaheim Bell. There, there's so many different weapons. You don't know who's going to step up any given night with with Florida State, and that's why, like, they're the twentieth talented team per two four seven like team evaluation. They are not good. They should be. They should be lower uh, as as far as how they should be like talent wise, but they are a team that plays for each other. They're a team that's coached well, and Norvell puts them in positions to be successful, and so does Fuller this year. So you can't complain about that. Yeah, I think with the putting in positions to be successful, the one thing I'd be looking looking for in the Louisville and the ACC title game would be running tempo with Tate Rodemaker, um, because one it. it to some degree, negates the defense's ability to dial up blitzes. It's a lot tougher to do at tempo than it is to do uh, when things are slow. They can get plays called in. Um, number two is he struggles when he's doing all his checks and adjustments at the line with the clock. You had three false starts on the day, um, which you've had very few of those on the season for Florida State. That hasn't been a problem. So, and it, you don't know how much of that is, you know, the plays taking longer to get in because I'm looking for something not, you know, if it's something that Jordan Travis can do, there's a lot bigger list of those things but something that Tate can do maybe you're trying to be a little bit more selective in the place maybe it's coming in slower I don't, I'm not entirely sure who to blame but if you can find places where you can run tempo um, you can negate both of those problems where get up to the line not worried about false starting because of checks at the line and less checks to make because you're not going to have as many blitzes dialed up as quickly um, so yeah. we'll, we'll see what happens with that going on Louisville on the other side of this ACC championship game loses in their final uh, final game of the season. They go 10-2 and in the regular season, dropping a rivalry game to Kentucky, 38-31. Uh, any thoughts on on this game, this result, Corey? Um, Devin Leary didn't complete like a great high percentage of his passes, but he co- completed enough and effectively, and they were longer than, like, they were, they were long enough that they could be, like, in a much better position than they should be. Their rushing attack has kind of been off and on, hit and miss this last this whole year. You had him destroy Florida, and then you had it like struggle, and it kind of struggled a bit in this game. I think they only rushed for like eighty three yards in this game, but the timely interceptions, the timely fumble recoveries, and Devin Leary able to move the ball when necessary and cash in when necessary is the difference in this game. Um, that that's the other problem is Louisville turned the ball over three times. Granted, one was one you're driving to try and win the game, but like. Too many. Or I mean, you have you have an interception, two fumbles. Um, yeah, the defense doesn't do a good job. They they do a good job stopping the run, but they don't get to stop the pass, and that ends up being against or a bad game for them. Yeah, and, and it seemed to me that I I thought it was going to be a turnover the other way that was going to be the nail in the coffin. This is one of several games I was flipping through and, and keeping track of. 
but when in the fourth quarter you have Devin Leary throw up an absolute duck of an interception, uh, and I can't remember if the game was tied at the time if they were up seven, but I I remember just I think thinking like, oh my goodness, they tied. I think it's thirty-one, thirty-one at the time. I, I, that's what what I'm remembering, um, and, and I thought, oh, this is going to be the nail in the coffin. They're going to go get a score, get ahead, and and hold on to it. Um, Kentucky able to grit out the win, and you know, a, a big marquee win for them. A big black eye for the ACC with their second best team, who is I think still ranked number ten uh, in the country. Uh, is that wrong? I should need to double check that. Right down to fifteen. Let's see where they got moved. To. I don't know if they got moved um, for though. No, still yeah. at number ten right now. Um, so b- barely moves in the rankings due to this loss. Uh, but Kentucky gets the win. Louisville, any? Hopes and dreams. I saw some people who had them still listed as like a playoff contender of like, hey, they win this game, they beat Florida State, they get all the right losses from other people, they could get in. Um, I wasn't in that camp, but uh, now nobody's in that camp. Uh, they they lose that one. Great season overall, and, and I think a year that they needed to capitalize on because they did have a weak schedule, but you're wondering if Jeff Braun looks great and he's got a lot to sell going forward. Yeah, they they dropped down to 15 and 14 into the AP poll and coaches poll, respectively. Sorry, by the way. Okay. That helps. So. Okay. So the 10 I'm looking at must still be last week's CFP ranking. That makes sense. Yeah. I think it might be. Cause that won't come out so. till Tuesday. Record yeah. this Monday night. Exactly. Sorry, go ahead. Deal guys. No, I'm, saying, <laughs> I'm saying like, yeah, we'll be interested to see how that goes. Um, floor state ends up, I think two and a half point favorites. That sounds about right to me, especially the backup. It's going to be a rough game. I don't know. I think anything can happen in that game. So, yeah, we'll see. It'll be be interesting to see. Um, Florida State, without Jordan Travis, is still a good team, but they're very different. Um, and, and Louisville will look to exploit those differences that you have when, when you have that drop-off at quarterback. Looking yeah. at the Big 12, uh, this was one that had a lot of question marks going into this week of who gets into the title game, because not even Texas had punched their ticket. Texas... Pounds on Texas Tech. Um, I'd mentioned in a previous podcast that I felt like they have another gear. Um, this is kind of the gear that, that I, in my head, was was imagining. Um, if they can put together complete performances like that, and I know it's going to have to be against better performing teams than Texas Tech, uh, then, then they can really cause problems for anybody uh, should they make it to a playoff. Oklahoma beats TCU 69-45 to on, I believe it was Friday, so they're left waiting for the Oklahoma State BYU game to see if they are going to sneak their way into another Red River showdown, rivalry, shootout, whatever you want to call it. Biggie. BYU gives them a lot of hope early on, ultimately lose in double overtime to Oklahoma State, 40-34. to uh, I've just glossed over three games, Corey. I'll let you dive in on any which one you want to, to comment or give insight into. <laughs> I want to comment on, on them all, and I'm going to. like okay. Texas Tech, Texas. I I watched that game and I'm I kind of like have a little soft spot in my in my heart for Texas because I have a buddy that's a big Texas fan so I'm like kind of rooting for them all the time. Um and I'm messaging my kid this game must be so much fun to watch as a Texas fan because this is the type of domination I want to see from my team and like this is just absolute domination on all levels and it was beautiful to watch and if they can bring that to the to the Big 12 championship game and if they get in, bring that to the playoffs, they could beat anybody. I mean, it was phenomenal to watch. Granted, it is Texas Tech, but it was it was fun to watch. OU, TCU, 
oh, you went up big in this game and then kind of flirted with them for a little bit and then finally put them away. And it was like, huh, but points galore. Good night. Over 110 points or something like that. I don't even know the number off the top of my head. 114 points between the two teams. Wild. Like, the defense struggled a little bit in that game. And it's the last few games have been like, oh, do I really want a Texas OU showdown? Because Texas is going to pound OU. And OU may be overrated, in my opinion. Like, like they're good, but you don't know which OU you're going to get. Um, you might get the one that's good or the one that's kind of bleh, all over the place. And so I'm kind of glad that Oklahoma State comes in <clears throat> and, and comes back on BYU. I mean, if you're a BYU fan, you've got to be frustrated. I saw a stat that, like, if they were up by 17 at halftime, they're like 100 or over 17 or 17 and over. They're like 148 and two ever. And they ended up losing this game. Um, for heaven's sakes, you got to wrap up Gordon in the backfield on that second overtime. You yeah. have it that stopped and he cuts back and there's no one there. And then uh, the fumble, I mean, by, uh, wow, what's his name? The tight end. I can't think of his name off the top of my head. Um, uh, you just got to feel for him. Like, I it's, Mac, it's not Max Bushman. I don't know who it is off the top of my head. It's not Isaac Rex. Um, but, oh, yeah, yeah, Isaac Rex. Thank you. Okay, there we go. <laughs> it was Isaac Rex. I'm like, you just got to feel for Isaac Rex. You're like, oh, I mean, th- and that was an interesting thing because, like, there were multiple fumbles that were like this across the entire week. You had the fumble from the Michigan ch- touchdown that counted as a touchdown, and then this one counted as a catch. And then you also had the one that was like the Ohio State guy who caught it and fumbled it, and then they ever ended up recovering it while they're driving, uh, trying to tie Michigan. But it makes me go back to the <coughs> Ohio State Clemson game a few years back, when Ohio State or Clemson catches the ball and then gets destroyed, and they count it as a non-catch. I don't know. I just felt like one this, of the craziest all plays. Very similar. And I was like, where are they going to go with all these calls? But <laughs> Oklahoma State fans, you pulled it out. Ollie Gordon is just kind of straight and kind of amazing to be real. Um, yeah, he, I, he's awesome to watch run. Just super physical, a too little but too late to win the Heisman. But yeah, 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 yeah. But uh, I mean, just just super physical, but also has a, a kind of silkiness to his running too, where it's like he doesn't like rumble through people. He kind of like glides off of people. I, I I really like his. I mean, his style, his production speaks totally for itself. Um, ultimately, he's able to get Oklahoma State into that. Big 12 title game. Uh, and Texas is one of those teams who, like, they've done everything they need to do. What they need is Alabama to beat Georgia, in my opinion. I, I think that's that's where you're at, is if so Alabama I, beats I Georgia, to, you're in. I, I'm worried about that because I feel like they hold the, the trump card against Bama, but people would go, who's played better lately? And aside from this Texas Tech game, Bama's played better. And would they put Bama in and Georgia and not give Texas the opportunity? I don't. I don't know how you can sit there and say that because they, they did beat them head to head. But if I'm George, if I'm a Texas fan, I'm rooting for Iowa to beat Michigan. I'm rooting for Florida State to lose. Well, yes, I, yes. I, I want as much chaos as I, if Florida State loses, then you maybe got a chance to get in unless Washington plays Oregon close. Like you need a few different favors in order to get yourself a chance to get in. I feel like. I feel like um, they only need one. I feel like you need Florida State to lose or Alabama to beat Georgia. I I think the most entertaining scenario of this all is Alabama beats Georgia everything else like the projected team wins I think you have to go without an SEC team in the playoff I, I you can't keep Michigan out I don't think you can keep Florida State out if Washington wins out I don't think you can keep them out if 
Oregon beats Washington, then you just have to have an argument over Alabama-Oregon. But if Washington wins that, I don't think you keep them. And Texas owns the, in my opinion, owns the tiebreaker. Alabama should get the spot. Uh, it would be, I mean, you would have people picketing and, and all sorts of riots if Texas doesn't get in over the team that they beat in Tuscaloosa. And they're the one that have the guns, too, so you might want to be careful about it. It's <laughs> not, not a state that's really you know restrictive on that. So, <laughs> um, Yeah, uh, but Texas stays alive in their hopes that there's a lot of ways this can go right for them to get to the playoff, but they do have to get through Oklahoma State, um, who has proven to be a tough customer at times throughout this year, uh, making it to the, the title game. Uh, any last thoughts on the Big 12? No, I'm good. All right, keeping over to the Big 10. We've only got one game we're going to talk about here, and that is Ohio State versus Michigan. It's three in a row. Michigan gets the win in the big house, 30-24, to without their head coach. Kyle McCord in this game, I don't want to say he let his team down, but it, it became very clear that they're going to need a different quarterback next year. Uh, that, that's my immediate thought. What were your immediate thoughts watching this Oklahoma, or Ohio State-Michigan game? Yeah, it, it, it's true. Kyle McCord was a highly rated quarterback, but he was also coming through the COVID year, so you don't really know really what you're getting. And it's kind of like, oh, it's not quite panning out. So I think you got to figure out who's next because he won your starting job. And that's the scary part. He won the starting job. So we used to have all the quarterbacks that came through Ohio State, went to the NFL, and then Joe Burrow left, and none of them have been going. Uh, not, not of them, but, like, who's going next? You, you, you had C.J. Uh, that's over at the Texans, C.J. Stroud. Yeah. But, like, yeah, who's, who's your next quarterback? Like, that's an issue. Yeah, because you have absolute weapons on the outside um, and, and Brian, good, good backfield as well. You've been critical of Michigan over the last few day, uh, last few weeks, and their style of playing, and they're not looking at how good as they said they were, as good as everybody thought they were going to be. What was your opinion of how they played that game? Oh, I, I'm totally won over, honestly. Like, I, I think they played a really, really good football game. Like, I, I, I think some mistakes you have in court just making, but you also force a lot of mistakes. You also deal with a big injury on the offensive line that's like no small thing to lose enter. Um, and there's a lot of time left in that game when they do. Uh, and you're still able to run the ball pretty effectively. J.J. McCarthy um, manages the game extremely well. He didn't do anything crazy with his arm this game, but like you, you didn't have to. You know, you you were able to stay with it, play within yourself, not have to overextend. Um, it, this was a really impressive victory to me for, for Michigan because I thought they would struggle with some of the athleticism on the outside defensively. They did not. Um, and then physically on offense, they were able to you know, run Blake Corum the way they have against most teams this year. And to me, that's, that's the, the question when you get to the playoff is, are you going to be able to do that against the other top teams? Ohio State sure has a good defense. And, you know, it's, it's not Georgia, it's not Oregon. There's no way to project in your mind whether that will work against those teams, but it's as good a test as you'll see. Um, and yeah. then they pass with flying colors. I have nothing to good, but good thing to say about Michigan uh, from, I think from this win. From a stats perspective, the team that's rushed more in this game has won for like the last 20 years or something like that. Is that right? <laughs> if I knew that that was a stat, I'd be running the whole damn game. I don't care anymore. Like that used to be a stat that was similar from Florida State and Miami. If you ran the ball more, you, you ended up winning the game. Like, And when when, OS, Oklahoma, or when Ohio State had that one touchdown where they just kind of ran the ball all the way down and marched right through the teeth of Michigan, I was like, oh. Oh, that was scary. This this might be the game over, but yeah. we're not able to replicate it again. Well, it looked like they had just 
Michigan to Michigan. You know, like it just looked like yeah. the script flipped entirely for for one one drive. But it was like at, at that point, I thought like, oh, Ohio State's going to take this home. And yeah, I did too. And, and then so. Michigan shut it back down. Um, so I, you know, this is a heck of a game. It's it's a tough rivalry game to win, but you get the win at home. You get it without your head coach. Um, and you're moving on to play Iowa. If you can just what get does Ohio State line. do with Ryan Day though, real quick? You can keep, you can keep him. him. He's <laughs> one keep him. In, the, in the game, and he's fifty three and, and and three or fifty three and four against everybody else. Here's like, the thing: you're moving. I I don't think Michigan is his kryptonite. You know, I think they've beat him, but they've been close games and. At times, like, I think Michigan, coming away from this, like, I, I know, I remember last year, Mark was talking about, like, I think if they played this again, you know, ten times, Ohio State would win seven or eight or something like that. Mm-hmm. This year, I don't think that's the case. This year, I think Michigan would win most of the games uh, if, you, if you played it over and over again. Um, but you're moving to divisionless football, and this matters because, and to a 12-team playoff. You could feasibly do all the same thing, go 11 wins, lose to Michigan, and you can still make it to the title game for your Big Ten. You can still make it to the playoff because there's 12 teams. And you can still put up a fight against you know some of the other top teams, even if Michigan was your kryptonite. But I you're, think... You're also I, not playing seven teams that are terrible every year either. So now you might be playing a, a Washington. Now you might be playing a USC. You might, you, now you're out some travel board. Like I don't think you can expect to go 11-1 every year. And so you might not make the playoffs I don't think so, but I'd wait a couple of years to find that out. Um, I, yeah. I would, I would see. Do you lose against all the other top teams? Because I don't think that will be the case. I, I think it's been very close, and he's lost close not because he's a terrible coach, but because that's how it went. You know, like I, I think that happens in some scenarios here, and it's hard because Ohio State's been big brother in this particular rivalry for so long. But um, well, and it's also hard when you know the other team steals your sign, so. Yes, yeah, good good to play without that for who knows first time in how long. Um, any, anything <laughs> left to say on the – What's that? <laughs> so who knows if it didn't happen still. I can for... see Harbaugh phoning from home. You're going to run right. Connor told me so. Anyways. <laughs> yeah, I, don't tell me nobody's talking to Connor still. Um, yeah, exactly. Sorry, I've got something in my throat. Do you want to take us through the Pac-12 and the action that happened there this week? Yeah. So Oregon State plays at Oregon. Um, Oregon destroys them 31-7. to Not a close game. Uh, we've seen this happen a few times with, like, Oregon State. Like, they get beat pretty handily, but most of the time they kind of stick around. Um, but Oregon, aside from that Texas Tech game, has handled business all year, and it's been impressive. Bo Nix has been impressive. He's an odds-on favorite to win the Heisman, but I don't hear people saying his name. Um, I hear more people talking about Jaden Daniels, so that's an interesting thought, thought to me. Um, to me, it's just, it's like the arguments I've, I saw this, somebody post this and I can't give them credits cause I don't know who it was, but they're like, the argument is, is like Bo Nix could throw the ball downfield. Jaden Daniels does throw the ball downfield. Like <laughs> granted Jaden Daniels loses games, um, because they don't have a defense. So who knows, but that Oregon team is impressive. They deserve to be in, in the championship game against Washington. I'm excited to see a rematch. I'm very surprised to see the line at nine points for next year or for next week. Um, that surprises me, but we'll see where we'll talk about that later. Washington state, Washington, Washington state decides to be the Washington state of the beginning of the year. Oh, and Cam Ward plays like he was at the beginning of the year. All of a sudden 
and they give Washington a, a run for their money. Can't quite get over the hump. Um, for those that are going to sit there and say like, oh, there's all Florida State doesn't deserve to be in. They're kind of playing terrible. I mean, you've had the same thing with Georgia or Georgia this week. You had the same thing with Alabama. You had the same thing with Washington. You're going to stumble on games. But you, as long as you win, that's what matters. And then we set up a, a great head-to-head game that I'm going to just sit around, push my kids onto the ground and get them away from me and watch the game. Yeah. Uh, you couldn't ask for a better regular season game to repeat. Um, you yeah. know, the, this you, you've had some awesome regular season games this year. Oklahoma, Texas was a great one. Washington, Oregon was an incredible game. And I'm so excited to get the second installation of it. Um, Cam Ward, uh, uh, you hit on, you know, he was early season Cam Ward. He made a couple just ridiculous throws in that game. Uh, the sort of thing where you go, okay, that that's a really rare sort of thing. If you if you could do anything with any sort of consistency like that, like you would be a shoe in for first round pick and the um, fade for the at the goal line that is barely gets in. Oh my gosh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and, and Washington State, I've seen a lot of speculation over the health of Penix because first handful of games Penix hasn't looked the same as back half of the season Penix. Uh, Washington has played a lot of teams close that they prefer not to. Um, that you'd think that they should pl- uh, not play quite as close. Uh, this has was a big point spread. Um, I, I want to say 14 or 15. I could be wrong about that. Yeah, I think it's up there. I don't um, know off the top of my head. And it, it's but... a, you know, that this isn't a three-point game where it was like, yeah, but they get scored a touchdown on the end to make it like, no, this was a tight game and Washington wins on a, on a walk-off field goal or near walk-off field goal. I think it's like a second left on the clock. Um, they have been hanging on, which is all that you have to do, but now you have to hang on against Oregon, and that is a tall task. Um, we'll, we'll talk more in our next episode about what we expect to happen in that game, but Washington keeps their spot and keeps keeps on rolling. If Oregon wins this game by three, let's say they win it on a walk-off <sighs> kick, kick, does Washington still deserve, and Oregon both deserve to be in the playoff games? I mean, because They've played each other insanely well. They've played, and no one else has beat them. And like, can you just be like, oh, well, you won the second one, Oregon. You get in. Like, I think in a different year, it's a possibility. This year, there's just yeah. too many teams there waiting in line. You know, the the line's getting long, and if you want to, you know, go down the water slide and get back in line and go again, yeah, <laughs> you might not, you might not have time before pool closes. You know, like that. You might not be able to cut. In, is what you're saying? Okay. Yeah, I I just think like. You know, we've seen these years where there's two SEC teams in, in the playoff, and they're warranted. But part of the reason they're warranted is that you don't have so many other teams queued up. Um, and right this year, you've got eight um, at the moment who are, are all waiting to get in because you have the what Michigan, uh, Michigan, Georgia, Florida State, Washington, who are the top four. But then waiting right behind, you have Oregon, Texas, uh, Alabama, Ohio and, State. Ohio State. Yeah, yeah. I'm still not, I'm not I mean, they're ranked six. In both polls, so they kind of cut back in line in front of Texas. Yeah, but I would I would put a one loss, you know, Washington losing to Oregon by three. I put them back in front. I'd say that's where they can cut in line is they can cut in line of Ohio State. So you put like you'd put Oregon. Oh, you so you'd have Georgia, Michigan, Oregon, and Florida State as the four kind of like teams, but then you'd have like Texas, Washington, Ohio State, Alabama, or Texas, Washington, Texas, Alabama. Well, I mean, it depends on, on how the title games. But, like, as of right now, Texas, Alabama, yeah. Washington, Ohio State. So you'd need 
Yeah, if Alabama three wins, they'd be yeah, right. You need three so. other losses to to go your way. Yeah, if Bama beat Georgia, yikes! That's gonna put and and then Oregon beat Washington. That's so many one loss. Oh, it'll be an absolute. I will watch. That would be you know, like one loss. Like, I don't. I don't ever watch any playoff ranking like throughout the season or even at the end. Like I'm just like, yeah, wait for it to come out, figure out what it is. I, I will be with bated breath waiting for. Oh, we've got one last Bama, one last Georgia, one last Oregon, one last Washington, one last Texas. All seeing who's getting in. Can you imagine? And one last Ohio State. Yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah. Yeah, and you could add in a few more. You know, Iowa pulls an upset. Louisville pulls an upset. Although it's a minor. You know, they're only if two Louisville and a half. Louisville pulls points. an upset. Florida State's not getting in. Yeah, there's no Sorry. shot. There's no shot. Um, if Iowa pulls an upset, yikes! That'll be interesting. Yeah, there is. I saw a great tweet, and I, I get it. Be seventeen to six. Like it's. I mean, come on. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't know who to credit the tweet to, but there's a great one I saw where um, a an anal- or a, a writer who had been at the the game, the Ohio State Michigan game. He was at the hotel breakfast the next day, and there's a kid talking to his dad. He's like, "Do you think I have a chance to beat Iowa next week?" And he's like, "Yeah, I really do think we do." <laughs> it's like, "Yeah, probably. I think Michigan's probably going to beat Iowa." You know. Score 17 and you feel really, really good. Um, <laughs> we've gone on a lot of tangents here, but uh, thanks for carrying me through my coughing fit. Uh, anything left on the Pac-12 that we want to touch on? Nah. All right, we'll move on to the SEC. Um, and we, we've touched a little bit on George Georgia Tech. We can go into that more if you'd like. Um, the main game that caught a lot of people's attention this week is the Iron Bowl. Uh, Alabama-Auburn. Auburn at times is able to just run the ball at Alabama and in kind of a way that we saw them do a little bit against Georgia when they played them earlier this year. They, they, they're such an enigma in, in some of the ways that they play with just, they'll blow out a team and then they'll get their doors blown in by New Mexico state. And they're really competitive with Alabama. And then they lose on a fourth and goal on the 31 yard line where you've, you know, rushed two, spied one, which I don't know if you need to spy uh, if it's 31 yards. Just have one of the eight people in the end zone run forward. Um, if he's going to run, like, you've got time to find him. Uh, but a, a I'll be, like, to, to give credit, a good throw and a tough catch to be made. But Alabama gets the win and, and stays uh, in their race. They already had their spot locked up in the SEC title game to face Georgia. But this keeps them in the playoff contention. Uh, thoughts, but thoughts from the Iron Bowl. Um, Nick Saban said, if, "I agree." At the end of the game, he's like, "There's been some crazy things that have happened in this stadium, and for once, this one happened for us." <laughs> like, um, I think he's talking about ten years ago with the kick six and stuff like that, and a few other things. But I, the play call from from Auburn is just what baffles my mind. I think you at least rush four or five, even, and you have six back there, and you play zone. Or you, know, you rush four and you have seven back there. You play zone. Like, that's what you should have done. He should not have all day to throw the ball. And you can still have that throw. But, like, the pictures and the videos that have come out of that stadium are just hysterical to watch. Like, people are crying. People are just like, yeah. And 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 it's just nuts. Like, kudos to Bama to pull it off. But I, I've said earlier in this in, in our podcast, like, there are coaches that will make you lose games or that can make can lose you games. Hugh Freeze is a coach that can win you games, like that you shouldn't win, and he's he's done it against Nick Saban twice, and he almost did it again a third time when they've been by far the lesser talented team. 
So, I mean, not that he'll win every game that he's supposed to win, but there's games that you were not supposed to be in that he will put you in. And so that's one of those games I got to start not betting on because I definitely have them in my list of Auburn's crushing them and that, or Alabama crushing them and it didn't happen at all. Yeah, so, I mean, it's another double dozen favorite who wins by one score. Um, and yeah. Auburn, I think you've got a lot to be optimistic about in the future. I mean, Hugh Freeze is an excellent recruiter. He's a real ace recruiter. And he's. Oh, I mean, you're going to have an amazing. You're going to have three or four. You're going to have two or three, four, five stars coming in next year. Like, yeah. That's. And I imagine, like, you know, he's going to be feasting in this transfer portal as well. Um, he's going to be trying to revamp the talent, reshape the roster. I think you got to feel good with that direction. Coaching wise, it's funny because it's so up and down. Um, but next year, if you can get the right guys in, uh, transfer portal wise, recruiting wise, I'm I'm read through real quick their 2024 schedule, and keep in mind most of these don't have dates uh, to to this point. Um, but you have Cal at home, New Mexico at home, ULM at home, and then and those are your your out of conference games. You're at Tuscaloosa next year for the Iron Bowl. You have Arkansas at home, Oklahoma at home, Texas A&M at home, Vanderbilt at home, Georgia at uh, in Georgia, at Kentucky, at Missouri. It's interesting because there's enough of a base there where like, I can see you can get in very comfortably to six wins. And then you've got a lot of these teams where you could compete with them potentially. Um, and I, when I say that, I look at like a... We'll see if Missouri becomes the next evolution of what they were this year, if they become a slight step back or, or what happens there. But like, that's the sort of thing where I think like if you can punch just above your weight once or twice next year and get to an eight and four with a couple impressive wins under your belt, um or, or a nine and three, because um, I'm I'm not really optimistic about Texas A and M in year one under Elko. Like I think that will take time. Uh, I think a lot of players will leave. If I'm being, you know, as frank as can be, I think a lot will leave in the transfer portal and um yeah. but you're you're only looking at Alabama, Oklahoma was losing Jeff Levy, and Georgia as, like, those are the ones that I would pencil down for a loss now. Uh, lots of things can happen, and obviously you can play Alabama tight, so maybe I'm stupid to pencil that down, but I think there's reason to be excited for year two under under Hugh Freeze. Um, but as much as Paul Feinbaum may always be saying it's the end of the Alabama era, it seems not to be quite the end yet. They're still a top ten yeah. team. They're still in the SEC it, title. I thought it was going to be, but they've figured it out with Milrow and they've adjusted. Kudos to Tommy Reese and actually making adjustments to your talent because not enough coaches do that. If you can make adjustments to your talent, you can win any game. But so many people try and get it, make their players fit their program and fit their system. And that's what they tried to do at first. And then they said, nah, forget it. We're going to fit our system to him. And it worked. Yeah. I, there's a great uh, interview. So Mike McDaniel, the head coach of the Dolphins, is interviewed in the game they're playing in Germany, uh, and it's a foreign, a foreign reporter who's asking. He's got this, you know, a, a thick European accent, but he's asking about the evolution of his offense and kind of what he saw last year versus this year. And Mike McDaniel is a little bit like blown away with his knowledge of of the game, but also, I love Mike oh, he's, he's great. So he, he's phenomenal. But also, the thing that he said, and it's so on the head for what you're talking about, is like it's not a my scheme sort of thing. It's me understanding what my, what players I actually have understanding their capabilities better, what their comforts are better. And then getting the results with that. So he's like the way that my scheme has evolved, it doesn't evolve because I'm changing what my scheme is. It's I understand my players better and some of my personnel has changed. And that's why I coach differently. Um, And I think that's been the key for an Alabama team who 
you know, they didn't have Milrow against USF, but struggled against USF. They shouldn't have done that with any of their quarterbacks. Um, and yeah. they've come such a long way since that. Um, obviously, it's a rivalry game, so you, you gave them a little bit of grace with a three-point win over Auburn, which, which you played way too close, and you left to the last second, and you get the miracle that you were looking for. Um, but you get to the end of the season 11-1 and one, um, with a with chance uh, to play for it all still. So um, I don't know if there's anything else in the SEC you want to touch on while we're in the conference. I feel like they need to name this game, and I want to name it like the corner of sadness because that's really what happened. Like Auburn's game died in that corner of sadness. Um, the only other game I was looking at that I was wanted to touch base on, yeah, um, just LSU. I mean, does Jaden Daniels win the Heisman? I think so. I don't yes. know how he doesn't. Yeah. And like, I, what are the what are the odds? Real quick, I'm just pull them up. Yeah, last I've seen, I think Knicks was still the favorite with Daniels close behind, but I just don't think. Everybody, go make I, some I money and go bet it. Yeah, Bo <laughs> Knicks is, is 136 or 165. Jane Daniels is 135 or plus 135. So go put $1,000 on and make, you know, 350 bucks. Jaden Daniels is one who, like, when he came from Arizona State, I thought, okay, really slippery guy, like, I, I didn't realize the top end speed that he had, but like, you know, kind of a tough guy to to tackle, to, to you know, tackle for loss, you know, get him back there. No, he seems to slip out of everything, make everything a little bit of a positive play. But I also thought he couldn't throw worth a lick. Um, but, you know, he had the arm strength, but but not the accuracy. He's got it all right now. Like the, the throws oh, he's that he's making in this Texas A&M game. Player. Yeah. My goodness. Um, and I mean, the eye test tells you everything. And then you look at the stats and it's like, oh, he's, he's blowing away some Joe Burrow stats um, at, at, to this point in the season. Like that, that's special rarefied air that he's in. Um, I, yeah. I, I just can't see how you can give it to anyone else um, with, with what he's done this year. And I get he's got talented players he's thrown to. And I get that he's got three losses. But, you know, we, we gave... We, we gave the title to Johnny Manziel because we saw we noticed we were watching before us. We did the same thing with Robert Griffin. We did the same thing with Lamar Jackson. This is one of those where it's like, yeah, the team might not be winning every game, but let's be honest about what we're seeing here. If Bo Nix loses to Washington, I think definitely Jaden Daniels gets it. But yeah, that would lock it up for him. But we'll see. We'll see. We'll see how that plays out, and if Bo Nix has a you know a marquee big win game, big you know, moment or play in that game? Is that, you know, that late push enough to to solidify it for him? We'll we'll have to wait and see. Um outside of the Power Five conferences, there's only a couple matchups we wanted to highlight. You have UTSA taking on Tulane. Tulane finishes the season eleven and one with their only loss without Pratt against Ole Miss. Really impressive season for Willie Fritz's uh team. Um, we'll see where they end up in the new CFP ranking. One that but... you guys kind of told me, like, poo-pooed it when I picked them. You're like, oh, they don't have the NFL talent that they had last year. So, just I, FYI. I definitely okay thought so. Like, I, I, I was like, nope, you don't have the Ty J Spears. He was, you know, kind of a killer there. I had a lower opinion of Pratt than I think most people did. I was just wrong, you know? Like, <laughs> they, they've had a heck of a season. They performed really well. Um, and, they, you know, they flirted with disaster on a pretty regular basis, but they win, you know, if you're the one who gets through and wins, kind of doesn't matter. Um, and, and that's what yeah, they've I think done. They've had like four or five games where they've won by 10 points combined. <laughs> yeah. It's, 
it's brutal when Corey's picked them in the win totals draft, and so I have to root against them every week. And they, you know, they're they're just like, no, we're just gonna hang on and win. Uh, we'll we'll keep it there long enough that Brian has to watch the whole game. But <laughs> no, uh, good win for them. And Liberty goes undefeated on the season. They win against UTEP, who fires their coach subsequently afterwards, forty-two to twenty-eight. Uh, so, what what is the total on undefeated teams uh, this year? You've got Michigan, Florida State, uh, Washington, Georgia. Is it five? Liberty? I think it's five. Washington, Liberty, yeah, Florida State, Michigan, and Georgia. Five. There you go. So the only one outside of the Power Five, uh, Liberty goes undefeated, and Jamie Chadwell. Doing incredible things. I'm interested to see what this team really is because they really haven't played anybody. So the bowl game's going to tell us a lot when they actually have to play a decent team. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm interested to see how than you know. is, mm-hmm. uh, even though they're undefeated. So, and I think that's totally fair with level of competition. Tulane's been playing a higher level of competition than than Liberty, yeah. but also bowl games are are really hard to read in this era as well because it's like oh. Half the good players transferred, half of them are just waiting for the NFL. Um, one of the big reasons I am for playoff expansion is not because I think the best team actually might be somewhere in the top 12 and not in the top four. It's because you're saving the postseason. The postseason is gone. Bowl season is terrible outside of the playoff. But if you've got 12, now I've got a handful of games. We, we've got stuff to look forward to, and you have a postseason that is, is worth You know, th- those players tend not to leave or tend not to say, Oh, I don't yeah. want to play for a championship. Like, no, you want to. So you stick around for that game. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm excited for that reason. Um, anyhow, kind of quickly glossed over those ones. A- any other thoughts on on those two wins? Nothing else. Uh, we're we're long past an hour at this point, but quickly want to mention the transfer portal. With the end of the regular season, a lot of teams, uh, you know, not having bowl games or players opting not to play in them. The transfer portal uh, is. Where players are jumping in, I don't know what the window is like this year, or where that ends at. But so the portal starts on the fourth of December, and then I think it goes another two or three weeks after that. So there is a, a limited window where player or teams can have visits and start to you know take commits and, and hopefully get these players secured. We also have a lot of grad transfers, and grad transfers can enter the portal at any point and can be added at any point. Um, so a little bit different there. Um, We've seen some notable names, and I'll just read off uh, a few of the names that we've seen. So Will Howard, the starting quarterback for Kansas State, uh, is in the transfer portal. Will Rogers from Mississippi State, their quarterback for a long time. Uh, Tyler Van Dyke from Miami, who's been their quarterback for three years. Max Johnson from uh, from Texas A&M, yeah. who ended off their season. Um, he kind of on and off for the last couple of years has been playing a few games as they've been trying to figure out uh, what, what the move is there. Uh, Carter Smith, uh, Don Chaney, Max Brosmer, Spencer Petras. Um, we expect a lot more names to pop up in here. And it, it's interesting because you usually aren't going to get the top, top end talent uh, to jump into the portal unless that top, top end talent ended up playing somewhere that won't be able to hold on to them for NAL reasons. So you think of like a Jordan Addison going to USC um, or if a big coach goes and they're following them like a Caleb Williams to USC. Um, nonetheless, this is where coaches will look to fill holes in their roster. Yeah, we did see um, uh, Adonis, A.D. Uh, Mitchell, jump from Georgia to Texas after the bowl game. So this window's open from December 4th to January 3rd. So it would be interesting to see what happens if they can 
how, how it all works out. But a lot of the players are jumping in the portal early because their coaches are being let go, and so they can, or they're grad transferring. So, yeah, I'm I'm interested to see where this goes and to see who gets picked up where. Uh, yeah. There are teams that have hit in the portal and done a really good job. There are players that have resurrected their careers a little bit. Bo Nix, I mean, to be one, and to be fair. Um, so what? What this is? This is a pivotal time, and it's going to shape the next season of college football pretty monumentally, to be honest. So we'll see how it goes. Yeah, I mean, you look at the top of the Heisman rankings; like they're they're not first year transfers, but it's Michael Penix, Bo Nix, and. Uh, Jaden Daniels. Those are all transfers who either didn't have things work out previously, or Michael Penix was mostly injuries that were, that were going on in Indiana. But like Arizona State was kind of dead in the water. Jaden Daniels had the starting job, but was not thought of in the same way that Jaden Daniels was thought of today. Bo Nix. Uh, we all thought like, oh, this is somebody who will who will win the other team the game. You know, that was my opinion on Bo Nix at Auburn. Is okay, that quarterback can win the other team. Uh, the football game, and now he wins football games for Oregon. So, um, some of these names where they might not be as exciting now, wait a year, wait two, they could be the best players in college football. Um, and that that's that's the real chance that you take in the transfer portal. Is could go anonymous, and you might never hear of them again. They might win a Heisman. Um, so we'll we'll keep tabs on that and keep you up to date, especially in the off season coverage and and the weeks where we don't have as much football. Um, but that is only going to ramp up as these weeks uh, proceed. To end off the show, Court, any parting shots you have or want to throw at the end of Rivalry Week? Well, I just want to wish uh, Billy Napier good luck on the recruiting trail because he won't be go- bowling bowling this year. Um, I think it's the first time that Florida hasn't gone bowling in like 20-something years, so I'm excited for, for that. Honestly, his recruiting class could use that because he needs to start picking everybody back up and keeping them in, in the class. Because the sharks are circling, um, I think it's going to be rough next year as well. Because I mean, you play Texas, you play I think Oklahoma and Florida State next year. It's going to be rough. So we'll see how that goes. But have fun, Billy. <laughs> yeah, I don't. I don't know if I have any parting shots to throw. I mean, there's the the the, the field does all the talking on rivalry week. Um, all that matters is the end result. You know, it doesn't matter that Auburn played Alabama close. Auburn lost to Alabama and. That's where it's been for a long time. Ohio State lost to Michigan. That's where it's been for three years now. Uh, you know, it sucks to lose your rivalry game, and you're going to have to wait a full year, and you're going to have to hear about it, and you deserve to hear about it because guess what? You, you have to you, you get yours when you hit the win, but when you're on the other side, be prepared. That's, that's what happens. So, uh, any others? Sorry, I I, I jumped in, but I know no, you're saving anything. We're going to sign off with that. appreciate uh, all of you for hanging around with us. Uh, if you've been around this long, make sure to give us a like, throw us a comment, anything you'd like us to talk about. Um, again, one click for you does a lot for our podcast. And we appreciate uh, all of our listeners and, and the efforts you guys put in to help support us. Until next time, championship week. Peace.